welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a lot of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am, as always, your humble host and correspondent. My name is John Steinberg, joined by my extremely talented and sophisticated co-host who goes by the name of Santino Maoni, guys, back again for another great episode of Visionaries. We're going to start off, as we always do, with our words to live by. John, I know you got to pick the quote this week. I'm going to read it out for the audience, and then you're going to kind of give our background and, get, and explain why you picked this quote and what it means to you. So the quote is from Cheryl Strayed, and here's the quote. I knew that if I allowed fear to overtake me, my journey was doomed. Fear, to a great extent, is born of a story we tell ourselves. And so I chose to tell myself a different story. John, when you hear that quote, again, you selected it. Why did you pick that quote and what does it mean to you? To me, it illustrates the power that we have to control our everyday mood, the way in which we choose to view the world, and our overall level of comprehension, which kind of translates into well-being. So there's this iconic quote from Joan Didion that has always stuck with me, uh, paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. So this is kind of taking the baton from that sentiment and uh, expanding upon it a bit. There are a million reasons not to do something. A million reasons that would steer you toward an action or a different course of action. But ultimately, we sort of decide. We decide how we feel about something. We don't always have the power, as I've said oftentimes over the life cycle of this podcast, uh, as somebody who can't see, there's uh, basically no set of circumstances where I would feel comfortable operating um, an airplane or driving a car. However, do I have the control to be able to feel okay about my everyday circumstances when I'm outside and Mm, maybe somebody shouts kind of a heckling word to me. Do I have the ability to allow that to not impact my day? Yes, I do. And this quote goes to the heart of that. We are special beings who have the ability to internalize things and live with them how we see fit. When you first kind of saw the quote, Santino, what did it sort of mean to you? I mean, like you kind of alluded to, it just meant that fear shouldn't control you. The person that is in control and the thing that is in control is you. You have the control and you have the willpower to make decisions on your own life. You cannot let something like fear or an emotion or a feeling, again, like being scared you know, questioning yourself, that kind of thing. You cannot let any of that control you and define the kind of decisions that you're going to make within your life. And I think it's, it's again, it's about knowing that you are in control. That's almost the, within the quote. That's kind of what I took away is that, like you said, whatever decision you're going to make, there's always, you could come up with 
a billion reasons not to do something. You can come up with so many ways that something can go wrong. If you want to, again, start a podcast like the, like you and I did, we could have come up with a hundred million reasons why we should not do this. What could go wrong? Oh, what if people don't listen? Yada, yada, yada. I'm using our podcast as, as you know, an, an, an example, a reference point, but we did it. We just did it. We didn't, you know, you, you don't let fear, you don't let the, oh, what if the questioning, the worrying kind of get in the way of doing that. And that's really what I took away from it is just, if you want to do something and you have the, the capability to do it, just go for it. Right. That's just kind of what that quote invoked in me at least. Absolutely. And with somebody like Cheryl Strayed, who is most widely recognized on a large scale for writing the memoir Wild, which was turned into the uh, successful film of the same name with Reese Witherspoon. Strayed is not her, uh, it's not a birth name. There was a point that she came to in life where, hey, she wanted to uh, have a bit of a different identity, different perspective, a way in which she was viewed by others. And she felt that changing her name uh, could really benefit every aspect of her life. So she chose her name, Cheryl Strayed. Uh, and if you go back and uh, listen or read the book Wild, the level of introspection that she's able to garner amid the pages of that memoir is, it's a little bit dumbfounding. Uh, just in terms of how incredible her interpersonal skills are with respect to dialing up her own emotions and things that have happened and putting them into proper perspective, being able to write about them in long form. So Cheryl Strayed is somebody that I've studied quite a bit, very helpful when I was writing my own memoir to just see how no holds barred she really was how she took this mantra the mantra from our quote about not allowing fear to prevent her from doing the things that she wanted to do in life and really ran with it this is a woman who hiked the entire I believe it's like 1400 miles the pacific crest trail that runs along the west coast and um then she went on to have columns uh Dear Sugar in the New York Times, and she's actually got a really great podcast, which is based off of her advice column, Dear Sugars, that uh, you can listen to. So for a, a lot of reasons, I thought this was a great place uh, for us to start. We don't allow fear to dictate uh, what we do in our daily lives. Yeah, definitely. Don't let fear control your lives. Just take control of what you want to do. Moving on to the next segment, we have Handprints Hall of Fame. John, last week I chose the inductee we put into the Handprints Hall of Fame. This week you chose the latest inductee. Who are we inducting into our Handprints Hall of Fame this week? So glad you asked. This week, Santino, we're going to be inducting a traveler, an adventurer, a raconteur, a man whose stature has left an indelible impression upon the visually impaired community and well, the world writ large. We're gonna be inducting James Holman. James Holman, for the audience, was born in the 18th century uh, in the United Kingdom. 
And let's just go ahead and fast forward to the age of 25 when Holman suffered a crippling uh, series of ailments, which left him blind um, and without proper use of a number of his extremities. But he did not allow this to dictate the terms for the rest of his life. Holman, at that tender age of 25, and having been involved in military campaigns at the highest levels um, on behalf of the crown, he decided that, you know, rather than wallow in self-pity or, hey, this was the trajectory of my life, this is where things could have gone, Rather than fall prey to just succumbing or succumbing to to the all of that, he decided to undertake this monumental task of circumnavigating the globe. And he's actually the first blind person to have ever done that. Incredible at the time, we don't have airplanes yet, even getting uh, take blindness out of the equation, even getting, from England, the United Kingdom, to all corners of the world was a vast undertaking. And this man from the front lines of the Russian Empire, front lines of the Mongolian Empire, all throughout corners of Asia and Europe, this blind man was able to travel, document his travelings, and in doing so, inspire legions and generations of visually impaired and non-visually impaired folks who would come in his wake. So it is with uh, the greatest sense of pride that we are inducting one world traveler, pretty much the first of his kind, James Holman, into our illustrious Handprints Hall of Fame. So I know that this isn't... Um, a story that has gotten a, a ton of play in uh, the 21st century. So when you saw James Holman was going to be inducted this week, sort of your reactions or his story and kind of what it means to you. When you first brought him up and you, uh, and you know, we, we did our text conversation and we discussed what we were going to do for each segment. My reaction was, who? Like, who? who is this? Like, I, I had never heard of him before. Like you said, obviously, his story hasn't gotten much play. It hasn't been talked about that much during the 21st century. So I had no idea who he was. Upon reading a little bit about his life and kind of what he did in terms of the traveling that he did during 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 his life, I was, I, I was dumbfounded. I was like, I just, I, I didn't know how to react because it was just, Again, it's almost like every time, you know, we, we do this segment of Handprints Hall of Fame and we induct these people who deal with these significant obstacles in their life. My, you know, in myself, before doing this show and before, before kind of being exposed to all of these different people, I would have never thought anything like this would have been possible. But as we continue to do this show and continue to put out these episodes, every single time I'm blown away every time by these people being able to achieve what they can achieve despite the hands that they've been dealt, despite the obstacles they've had to face. I was, I was blown away by his accomplishments. And, you know, from, from reading what I read about him, he was described as somebody with just 
um, a ton of goodwill. He had a lot of charm. He was very positive, extremely optimistic. He was somebody who, like you said, really, truly did not let the difficulties he had to endure stand in the way of him leading a, a fulfilling life and accomplishing so much that he did. He was just a constant, almost like fireball of positive energy is kind of how I would describe him. And that really getting that kind of little insight, not even just of what he accomplished, but who he was as a person just reinforces that idea of he didn't let anything stand in the way at all whatsoever. And he had said, it also had said that he would venture off into these foreign countries and all the traveling that he did. He would go there with, you know, not, not, no really any plan, no itinerary, no, he, he wouldn't know the language of where he was going, no prior relationships with anybody who lived on the, in these different countries he was going to. He would just go and explore. He had no nothing to kind of grab onto, no assistance, no guides, no nothing. He just went there blind in a sense, like, like literally and figuratively. And he, and, and he just had almost, he, he endured any issue that he encountered. It's it just, I, I'm struggling to find the words because of how amazing it is that he was able to do this. And again, when I was first reading it, I was blown away by his accomplishments. I think it was a fantastic, fantastic inductee to put into our handprints hall of fame. I, I, I love the selection. I'll leave it at that. Well, thanks man. Uh, Stories like these are the type of tales that we really want to highlight on this podcast, the type of life experiences and exemplary lives in the larger sense that propel those who may be facing difficulties of their own, struggling in whatever capacity. Hearing stories like these is meant to invoke the best in us allow us to control our own destiny so that whether we've been dealing with a disability our entire lives whether it's acquired when we're a little bit older however you come to it and even if you're not disabled at all if you're just struggling in whatever capacity hearing that there was a gentleman named james holman in the 19th century United Kingdom, who took it upon himself to venture around the world in the face of all the myriad of challenges. He did it successfully and he documented all of his travels so that future generations could benefit from his wisdom and life experience. Additionally, I, I just kind of love this, so I want to note it. The Lighthouse Foundation, which operates in the Bay Area, it's one of the more reputable organizations that deals with the visually impaired community. They offer an annual $25,000 scholarship to aspiring travelers, if you will, in the name of James Holman, which uh, I just think is objectively awesome. So for all of those and a number of unsaid reasons, we are inducting one James Holman. Welcome. You are this week's inductee into the Handprints Hall of Fame. Great way to close that segment out. Again, I loved the selection. We'll move on to Profiles and Courage. And once again, John and I are going to engage in a little bit of a discussion. I got to pick the topic we were going to cover this week. 
And the thing that I wanted to tackle, and I was kind of inspired, I guess, to choose this discussion, mainly because I'm going back to Quinnipiac. I'm going back up to college on Sunday. So I'm engaging in yet another transition that I've done before. I've, you know, I've gone up, gone back and forth between college and home multiple times. But because I'm close to going back through another transition, I wanted to kind of talk about how mainly young adults and teenagers, how it can be to go through different transitions in their younger years in today's society, especially coming out of a COVID pandemic, you know, that, that whole world that we were living in for a while, kind of how it can affect kids that are my age. Again, I'm 20 years old, kids that are a little bit younger than me, teenagers, maybe, you know, three, four years older, you know, just uh, giving to give and take a little bit older, younger than I am. But I'll start off by just kind of saying for myself, the first time I was going up to Quinnipiac, it was pretty nerve wracking. And, you know, I, I would assume that for anybody going up to college, yeah, it can be a bit, bit of a transition, but in my experiences, I kind of want to share what I've learned of how I've been able to deal with these transitions and how I've been able to kind of still feel in control of what's going on. Because speaking from personal experience, going through big transitions like that of having to move into different places and kind of living, literally living in two different locations for like two parts of a year, it can, it can be, a, it can do a lot and it can take a lot out of you. So ways that I've kind of dealt with that transition is finding little things that kind of help me feel like I'm in control, St- staying on a workout regimen, going to the gym consistently, you know, keeping a good like nighttime routine. It can be, it can be such small things, but as long as it gives you that sense of control and you still feel like you have things in your life that aren't constantly changing and transitioning, you can try to mitigate that feeling of overwhelm overwhelmingness you might get from the amount of transitions that you're going through. I also want to speak on before John, you jump in, in terms of the pandemic during that time of that, I guess we can say like year and a half, two years of just constant confusion and never really knowing what was going on, never knowing what was going to happen next, kind of living in a state of flux the entire time. That was one of the most difficult times for myself and so many people that I know, again, like friends that I have at school that are my age, we all struggled a lot and everybody did, not even just kids that were our age, but I'm speaking just personally from, you know, that my experience everybody had to had to struggle throughout that time it was very very difficult but it was almost like during that time the transitions and the changes you were going through were were twofold it it was made that much more difficult and that much more overwhelming because we had to worry about you know being safe protecting ourselves and our family and worrying about all these other things that we should have never had to worry about on top of just the normal, the normalcy and the, and the regularity of just going through the transition itself, adding the COVID aspect on top of that made it extremely difficult. And it became even harder to kind of maintain a level of sanity and control that you, or at least that for myself, I always try to strive for to, to not experience that feeling of just being constantly overwhelmed and stressed out and that kind of thing. So I guess that, that that's kind of the introduction of the conversation I wanted to have in terms of your experience or any thoughts that you have on this topic of, you know, again, 
especially young people dealing with transitions, dealing with having like going through different phases of their life and even personal experiences you have. So um, I'd love for you to touch on this as well. Well, first of all, I commend you and your generation. Uh, I can't imagine going into my freshman year of college, having any period during the college years influenced by something like the pandemic. I mean, that was yeah, <laughs> seriously unthinkable. For me, I tried my best and I would urge uh, folks, I actually, I have a cousin who he and I have been texting. He is beginning his first year in college, uh, I think next week. And I thought about this before I even knew we were going to be speaking on it uh, for the podcast. I thought about mm, anything helpful that I could tell my cousin prior to him beginning his freshman year at college. And I kept coming back to a couple things that I wish I had a better handle on at that age. One of them is patience. Patience is tremendously crucial, particularly for younger folks who have grown up, you know, we, we talked about social media not too long ago and how it has impacted the lives of younger people. For those that have grown up with constant, consistent images of this person's doing that and this person's going there, and that's what this person has achieved, and how do I stack up in comparison? I didn't have to contend with all of that, but I know that young folks do. But this idea of I need to do this right now or this is going to happen. Again, drawing from our words to live by, the quote that we examined at the outset of the show, not allowing fear to dictate the terms by which we lead our lives. So patience, understanding that, listen, okay, if I want to publish a novel, if I want to become a teacher, if I want to join the Peace Corps, yeah, all of these things take steps, lots and lots of steps, not all accomplished in one fell swoop. So patience is the ultimate virtue. And it's so difficult to tell, you know, an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, hey, J j just hold your horses, okay? Like you have to wait a, a, a little bit. Um, the world is not a vacuum, okay? You're operating against a, a lot of other people and an entire world. So pull back, hold your horses, be patient and allow things to happen. Um, that's, the, that, that's the first thing. And then the second is, I'm so glad you touched upon stuff that might not seem as important as hitting the books as hard as humanly possible. But yeah, trips to the gym, cardio, things like that. These go to sort of the second bedrock principle that I wish I'd had a better handle on at that age, routine. I remember growing up, I used to always lose my glasses um, and my I, I would always lose them, and my mom would get angry with me. Why did you lose your glass? Which there's never a great answer to that. Why did you lose your glass? Why? I because I, I, I lost them. I, I, where did you lose them? I well, I don't know. If I knew, I probably wouldn't have lost them. Yeah, it's like yeah. yeah. If, if I knew, I would just go get them. Like that's yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. But so to forestall that um, stuff from just continuing to impact my life. 
dad told me, listen, I, I get a routine. Okay, you lose your glasses when you walk in the door every single day, put them in the exact same spot every time out and translate that to all other aspects of your life. So if your routine for studying um, before an important test is, okay, the week before I've got about five days, I'm gonna start and I'm gonna cover three sections of this textbook, okay? And that has yielded you the results that you want stick with that a lot of being a young person uh and in your first couple of years of college trial and error you know see what works for you find that routine that's going to carry the day routine and patience i ser i wish i had had a better handle on all of that but what are you going to do um i just hope that younger folks will and it does seem like your generation is a little bit um, better adjusted than perhaps mine was. Um, again, your generation has been dealing with the impacts of uh, social media and its implications and this constant comparing yourself to your peers and the people that have come before you so that by the time you actually get to college, yeah, you've got a better handle on, okay, keep it in check, hold your horses, be patient, get a routine, let's get going here. I'll um, say I'll say this. I mean, it cut you off. Like I'll say this as somebody who, again, is part of this younger generation. We do get a, and I'm not like you know. I don't want to go into this phase of comparing like you know our generation to former's, like to yours, and to even my dad's, like stuff like that. I don't want to go into comparing generations. All I'm gonna say is that as somebody who was a part of this generation has had to experience so many things that my parents, un my uncles, like all these older generations never had to deal with. I think that we that we ourselves, kids my age, do a pretty if we if we weren't doing a pretty good job before, I would say we've come a decent way in trying to just live with everything that we have getting thrown at us. Because like when I hear like I always think about this, like I experience and, I, and I'm not saying that it's just the younger generation because everybody of any generation, any age experiences this, but the amount of overload in our brains that we get now due to the, due to social media of how much we're seeing, how much information we're taking in, in one day, how much we're seeing, Oh my God, my friend did this. Oh, he got this internship. Oh my God. I don't even have an internship. What the hell? What am I going to do? All of that. We have done, we have come such a long way in being able to compartmentalize all of that and understand, okay, listen, Everybody's doing their own thing. Everybody's achieving in their own way. Everyone's going to do things at their own pace. It's going to happen for people differently. You have to remind yourself of that. We, myself, I've come a long way in that. And again, our younger generation as a whole has come such a long way in trying not to all do the comparison. Oh my God, this person just went to, 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 um, like, it went to Mexico on vacation. Oh my God. Like I, I'm stuck at home working. Like what I'm, I'm a loser, like that kind of thing. We've come a long way into kind of leaving that mindset and we still listen, there's still improving to do, but you make a good point in the fact that we are dealing with so many things that nobody has dealt with ever before. And it's it, it, it in your twenties, when you're, when you're trying to just like live in college to, to have to navigate all of that extra stuff, it just creates a whole new level of 
okay, how do I like how do I navigate through everything and manage everything at the same time? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, so that I think gets us back to this idea of like patience and routine and keeping goals both far off in the distance and immediate as priorities and being able to prioritize in a larger sense. And those first couple years of college or I mean, just after you get out of high school and you're 18 years old, you are considered legally an adult figuring things out. I mean, that is really what that portion of life is best suited for figuring out who you are, what works best for you and the ways in which you can be the most successful by virtue of your own behavior. So again, a lot of trial and error, a lot of just figuring stuff out. Um, and yeah, for me, it was coming up with strategies, but whatever works for folks that are in positions like my cousin's going to be here pretty soon of, okay, it's this first time on my own and wow. Okay. I'm living in on-campus housing and I've got this course load and I'm also being asked to participate in intramurals or the student newspaper, all of that. Yeah. Being able to kind of prioritize and figure out a routine and the patience to execute on all of that as, and um, I know I do this a lot, but I remember there was a great, great movie that I'd recommend um, called don't tell mom, the babysitter's dead and kind of a cult classic from the early nineties. So there's a scene where it's a 17 year old who is pretending to be somebody who's probably in her late twenties She's in way over her head working at a, uh, a fashion company for like uh, in fashion design. And she's got an enormous stack of papers on her desk. And you just can tell she is intimidated with, uh, with a capital I. And her boss, noticing this, comes over to her and kind of softly chides, hey, <clears throat> don't get overwhelmed. Just do one thing at a time. So that's also something that has stuck with me with, and it gets back to the routine, the patience and um, being able to prioritize. But seriously, your generation and the way in which um, the pandemic affected everything and the social media does affect everything. A lot of new challenges in the fold, but I think that we are in good shape going forward as a country and as a civilization, as young people seemingly appear to be armed with this whole degree of empathy uh, and yeah, understanding and personal introspection that uh, definitely was not in vogue when, uh, when I went to school. So we gave you guys a lot there to, uh, to consider but as Santino prepares to go back to Quinnipiac and a number of folks out there are preparing to also go back to their own colleges and uh, secondary places of education, a lot of things to keep in mind. It is a juggling act. Don't get intimidated. Figure out what works for you.
Most definitely. We'll move on to our next segment, respect and representation in the media. So, John, this week I picked the movie we're going to look at, and the movie that I chose was a little bit of a horror film, which I believe is still available on Netflix if anybody listening does want to go and watch it. It's a movie called Hush, and it was made in 2016. Now, John, the first time that I watched this actually was at Quinnipiac. I believe it was it was 2020. It was around Halloween time. And we watched this movie, and when I tell you I had no idea what the movie was going to be about, I had no idea what I was in store for. This movie like shook me to my core, mainly because it's the kind of horror movie that's not you know, like aliens or zombies or that kind of thing. It's a real life, like something that could happen to you in the real world. You know, God forbid we pray this never happens to anybody, obviously, but it just made it seem that much scarier because of the real world effect that it had, if that makes sense. But basically the plot of the movie is there's a woman who I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is in, I guess, her thir- her early to mid-30s, I believe. She is deaf, and she lives in a house alone, basically in the middle of the woods, which at first glance, I didn't fully – like, that seemed as, like, more of a plot point than anything because I don't think – listen, I mean, you could – but I don't think it's the smartest idea for somebody who is deaf to live alone in the middle of the woods without anybody there in the house with her. That seemed a little bit like, whoa, like, wouldn't that like be logically like, wouldn't that go against your logical thinking like that kind of thing? But I digress anyway. So yeah, she's living in the woods alone and the house that she's living in, it's basically like, it's not even like, there's not a lot of walls. It's not, it, it sounds weird the way I'm going to describe it, but it's not an enclosed house. There's a lot of glass windows. It's a glass sliding door that she has. So it is very easy for somebody to try to break in. Lo and behold, a man, I guess, who, I don't know if he lived in the woods or if he was just stalking her, whatever the case was, but a man shows up at the house and it's not looking good for her as he is stalking her and she has no idea as she cannot he she can't hear anything so he is sneaking inside of the house she can't hear anything and they kind of ensue in this little game of he's trying to he's almost like messing with her and i'm saying messing as if it's like this like light term no he's basically he's terrifying her and he's again stalking her and trying to put her in harm's way and they go, I guess if you want to, John, you might be might be able to describe it in a better term, but they go through kind of this like cat and mouse game of going back and forth with each other. And it eventually comes to the climax where they're, they're both in the house and they're fighting each other. He's trying to kill her and eventually she is able to defeat him once and for all. But the whole concept of the movie I found very interesting and I had watched it already a few years ago. And I wanted, I I didn't know if you had seen it yet, but I'm curious your thoughts. Was this the first time you watched it? What did you think of it? Give me your thoughts. It did come on my radar. I believe it came out in 2016 on Netflix. And this comes to us by way of noted horror director, Mike Flanagan, who has done a bunch of Stephen King adaptations, um, maybe most notably uh, Dr. Sleep a couple of years ago, but he also did like Gerald's Game, which is also on Netflix did The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor. So it's a guy who specializes in horror, but most of the time he adapts things that are already out in the ether, pre-existing intellectual property. So here we have an original script from Mike Flanagan 
with his wife, um, Kate Siegel, who portrays the main character. And while, okay, it's not a Stephen King story necessarily, definitely has traces of some of the best works from King's expansive literary um, output. The idea, yeah, of being stuck in the isolated woods without the ability to hear what's coming, or she's also mute in the movie, so she can't, this, uh, you know, in space, no one can hear you scream. Well, she doesn't even have the ability to scream if she wanted to. It's a good point. So, I forgot to bring so, that up. Yeah. Well, so it's just that whole set of circumstances, yeah, on, on the surface is absolutely terrifying. And you've got this, um, there was a lot of uh, wait until dark in this movie. Um, the disabled woman kind of living alone on her own, being stalked and preyed upon by a criminal, like, well, in this case, just one criminal who wishes to do them harm. A great idea. One of those where, okay, you see the, 55 word description in the Netflix subheading you're like wow okay deaf and mute woman living in the woods on her own is terrorized by a force from outside in the wilderness like that's just it's a great setup for a film and here there are a lot of little flourishes um, that I thought worked well. Um, the best of them being there's a moment, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a moment where the uh, uh, killer criminal terrorize, however you want to choose to describe him, the, uh, the antagonist from the film, he takes someone's, um, <laughs> he uses an unorthodox method for tapping on a window to try to intimidate our protagonist here. Okay, I'll just say, he takes a dead person's arm and knocks it on the window to, to kind of scare a person. I, I thought that that was a really nice flourish, really good imprint from uh, Flanagan and his partner, um, Kate Seagal here. A really interesting movie that I don't know if it ever completely realizes the audacity of its premise necessarily, but a really nice thriller, I thought. You know, the first time that I watched it, I absolutely, I I, I mean, I loved it. And it's like weird to say, oh, I love the movie where a woman was getting attacked by a, uh, by an antagonist, criminal, you know, killer, whatever you want to call him. But it was, it, it kept me on the edge of my seat literally the entire time as soon as the antagonist was introduced i couldn't i couldn't look away no matter how scared i was no matter how oh my god oh my god like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen it, it i couldn't look away they they kept me engaged the entire time i would 100 percent recommend the movie to anybody i mean again horror is you know a, a touchy a touchy genre for anybody who can get scared very easily maybe don't watch it but for myself I mean, John, I don't know how you feel, but I love the movie. Would recommend it to anybody. I do agree with you. I loved, I mean, again, I'm saying the word love. That scene, though, where he uses the dead person's arm and taps on the window, there were little nuances and little moments in that movie that were just like, that's, you know, that 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 that, that was good writing by the directors, by the by the writers. That was just, 
a little, a, li- a little kind of a, almost like a funny, but at the same time, very creative, clever way of, of, of trying to scare, scare her, the woman who was living in the house, that kind of thing. It was just, I, th- there were like the, like you said, there were things in the movie that just made it that much better. And I thoroughly enjoyed it when I watched it a few years ago and rewatched it again, just to kind of remember what the whole plot was for, for our podcast today. And our protagonist here, to kind of circle back to what we have been touching upon over the course of this episode, not allowing fear to impact every aspect of her daily life. So yes, for 99 out of 100 people, the idea of being unable to hear and unable to speak and subsequently moving to this remote, isolated location in, uh, in the woods yeah, that would seem terrifying. But this particular character is a great uh, heroine in the quintessential understanding of the word. She doesn't allow this fear to steer her away from uh, what she really wants to accomplish. And for 99 out of 100 people, just the mere fact that there would be somebody out in the wilderness terrorizing them like this would kind of reduce them uh, to just a big puddle of being frightened, scared, what have you. But it brings out the best in our protagonist here so that we get to see a real kind of good meets evil showdown. And um, I won't spoil how it ends for folks, but from our scope, of okay how do we feel that uh, the deaf the mute community how were they depicted here i kind of thought in the best possible sense this is a protagonist who does not allow those impairments to steer her life in uh, in any direction other than in a positive one yeah i was going to ask you so you overall feel that the portrayal of the deaf and the mute community was was positive and good in this movie yeah i mean a little bit far-fetched of course i mean it's a movie all right it's a horror movie also and it's a high concept horror movie at that but yeah in general from kind of a baseline vantage point we definitely want to see characters persevere through their impairments as opposed to uh, being shackled by them. So, yeah, no, I I thought it was a well-rounded depiction of um, somebody representing both the hearing impaired and um, the, uh, well, the mute community. Uh, Yeah, so I I thought a very nice representation for, uh, for our purview. Definitely, I agree 100%. Moving on to the final segment of the show, as we always do, John, you're going to get to tell us a story for connecting the dots, talking about your personal experiences throughout your life. What are you going to talk about today, John? So to extrapolate upon our theme here of not allowing fear to prevent you from doing all that you want to do in life, I'm going to talk about the process of changing canes. And here's what I mean. When I first began using a cane, an assistive, well, I mean, a big white cane, like uh, folks have seen out there in the world. It's got a white ball at the end of it, 
long, kind of feels like a golf club most of the time with the grip when you hold it and you, it's meant to act as your eyes in front of you. So you run it from side to side in front of you. Prior to really embracing, this is a tool that's gonna help me. This is a helpful tool. I saw it as the equivalent of a scarlet letter that I wasn't somebody that wanted to be viewed at St. Mary's. So St. Mary's, uh, where I went to graduate school in Northern California, was the first time that I really began using a cane. And I didn't have the right type of cane. It didn't have a real function. It didn't work properly. It was sort of broken at the bottom and a little bit as uh, Steph Curry might say, uh, janky. So it was really there more as I am visually impaired and uh, I would like for you to know about it, which is greatly important, but it didn't actually help me at all. It was really just for the benefit of existing in a world inhabited by others. But as time wore on and I really felt hamstrung by my inability to venture outside the campus, that is what steered me toward finding the organization, uh, the Hatland Center that I've spoken about on a multitude of occasions over the life cycle of this podcast, seeking out the Hatland Center so that I could live a more independent life. But it was this initial fear of being labeled, quote unquote, the blind guy. And that's, that's all anybody would see. And that would govern any conversation that I would then have with anybody who I would be so fortunate as to meet or run into. It took me being completely unable to even leave the campus of St. Mary's in Moraga, California, one of the safest communities in the United States. I couldn't leave the campus. I was fearful because I hadn't faced down my own fears, really. I hadn't come to terms with, I need this cane for very practical reasons. I need it to travel. I need it to operate as my eyes when I don't have the benefit of being with a fully sighted person. So it was this that led me to scrap that janky, ineffective cane in favor of a proper cane that would actually serve a legitimate function aside from just merely alerting somebody to the fact that uh, I am visually impaired. And it wasn't easy. I did have to really do a lot of uh, soul searching and yeah, facing down the barrel of you're only going to be known as the blind guy. This is how everybody's going to see you and interact with you. And if you don't want to be viewed by the world as solely the blind person, then you cannot have a white cane. It took overcoming that fear, which prevented me from seeing things in kind of the proper way to be able to, yeah, toss <laughs> that very poor excuse for a cane to the side in exchange for one that was going to help me lead out um, 
my life's destiny. So like we always talk about on this show, paraphrasing from Gandhi in a way, be the change that you want to see in the world. So if you don't like that stereotype that, oh, if I have this cane out in the world, I'll only be viewed as the blind person. First of all, that doesn't exist. Second of all, if you don't like that, change it. Okay, like be a blind person in your own way, put your own spin on it, your own unique flourishes, your own version of having somebody use a dead person's hand to knock on a window in a horror movie. Do what you have to do to make things work for yourself. But above and beyond anything else, do not, I repeat, do not allow the fear to overtake and govern your everyday decisions. Yeah, and that's exactly what you did in this situation, or, or sorry, that you didn't do. You did not allow the fear and the wondering and the, oh, what if, oh, getting the stereotype, oh my God, like overthinking. You didn't allow that to control the, the next decision you were going to make within your life. And that's very commendable. And again, it just kind of sticks. It always seems every episode, there's like a, uh, a constant theme in all of our topics. And in this episode, it really was you know, not letting fear control you, not letting overthinking and overanalyzing and all those different things control the decisions you make in your life. It was really that overarching theme in almost every single one of our topics and segments, I think. Absolutely. And it is so vital because doesn't matter who you are or where you live, you're going to have scary moments in life. You're going to have things that terrify you that will freak you out. And coming up with strategies to overcome those moments of fear is a task that everyone has to face down in their own unique way. So we have done our best to highlight examples of folks that have been able to do that so that dear listeners, you can also do the same thing. Absolutely. That'll end episode 19 of Visionaries. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another fantastic episode. We enjoy putting these out for you every single week. We're going to be a lot more consistent going forward. This is our second episode in a row. We're going to get back to that consistency of posting every single week. If you don't follow us on Instagram at visionaries underscore podcast, please go follow us. You'll be getting every single update on there when the episode is posted on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Go listen to our episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can hit the link in our Instagram bio. That's where you can find all of our content. Again, give us a follow, DM us. When you go on Spotify and listen, rate it. Follow us on Spotify. We really appreciate it. Again, thank you so much for listening to another great episode of Visionaries, and we will see you guys next time. Talk to you guys soon.